The new McCarthyism comes back to Harvard Law School. I say back because Harvard suffered from the old McCarthyism. But now there are attempts to ban anyone who was in any way complicit in the Trump administration's anti-democratic policies. You have no home at Harvard. You will be banned. You will hear why I strongly oppose this new McCarthyism on The Dirt Show. I had hoped that with the acquittal of Donald Trump and the beginning of the Biden administration, we would see an end to the McCarthyite attacks and efforts to ban Trump supporters or Trump facilitators from universities and other venues. Uh, but no, just this morning, this morning, I received a petition from students, student leaders they claim to be, at Harvard Law School demanding that Harvard Law School ban anyone who was a kind of backer or architect of the Trump policies. I'll read you from the petition. Harvard Law School faces a choice of whether to welcome the architects and backers of the Trump administration's worst abuses back into polite society. If it does, the school will be complicit in future attacks on our democracy and even more violent and perhaps more successful. It goes on to say that Harvard Law School must make a clear statement that people who condone and participate in anti-democratic, racist, xenophobic, and immoral practices have no home at Harvard. Well, you know, if you took these criteria and applied them across the board, Harvard would never have a speaker that supported Cuba, uh, China, uh, Belarus, Russia, uh, the Palestinian Authority, Hamas, all of which participate in anti-democratic, racist, xenophobic, and immoral practices. Nobody from Turkey who supports Erdogan would be allowed on the Harvard uh, campus. No, that's not going to happen. Don't worry, folks. It's only going to be applied to architects, supporters, facilitators, enablers of the Trump administration. He says in this petition, or the petition says, that we can expect these figures, the Trump supporters, to work diligently to rehabilitate their reputations and obscure the stain of their complicity in the Trump administration just as they have before. And Harvard should not become complicit in that. It shouldn't allow these monsters, that's what another petition calls them, monsters, to launder, that's the word used in the petition, to launder their reputations through Harvard. They also claim that this ban on Trump facilitators and supporters would teach ambitious students of all ages, talking about Harvard students, of course, that attempting to subvert the democratic process, promulgating racist, xenophobic policies, and telling American political leaders to go back to where they came from is not just allowed, but will even propel them through a continuous revolving door to success and prestige. In other words, 
if you want to get a good job, if you want to succeed, if you want to be a great lawyer, you got to participate in this new form of McCarthyism. Sounds familiar. That's what people were telling Harvard students back in 1950s. If you want to get a job, if you want to work at a law firm, if you want to get a clerkship, you better support McCarthyism. You better not permit people who are accused of communism to speak on the college campuses. That's what happened at Brooklyn College when I was a student there. Communists and people who were in any way affiliated with communism, which was defined very broadly to include socialism and other isms, uh, were banned from the campus, literally banned from the campus. I remember there was a guy, an old communist, who would stand outside the gates of Brooklyn College handing out leaflets. Everybody felt sorry for the guy. We'd take the leaflet, make an airplane out of it, and, and fly it. But uh, I don't remember anybody ever reading the leaflet. Uh, communism didn't pose a particular danger to the students at Brooklyn College, um, most of whom were children of immigrants uh, who loved America and uh, couldn't stand uh, Stalin or, or communism or Khrushchev or whoever was in power at the time. But uh, they had to protect us. They had to protect us from the bad influences of communism, of communist teachers, of people who had been communists in the 30s, who had been associated with groups that were regarded as fronts for communism in the 30s and, and 40s, anti-fascists uh, who uh, associated themselves with communists. We had to be protected from them. No, we didn't. The marketplace of ideas was a good enough protection. We understood the vices of totalitarianism. We didn't need college administrators to protect us, just like Harvard Law School students don't need Harvard administrators, faculty members, or or censors to protect them from Trumpism. Uh, do you know how many supporters of Trump there must be on Harvard's uh, campus? You can probably count them on a, a couple of hands, but that's not the point. Uh, the point is these people, the folks who petition the McCarthyites, the last thing they want is diversity of points of view. They want racial diversity. They want gender diversity. They want sexual orientation diversity. They want even some kinds of ethnic diversity, but ideological diversity, political diversity, partisan diversity. God forbid somebody might actually be persuaded to become a conservative and graduate Harvard. Being a conservative, my God, what that would do to the reputation of the school. So I was asked to comment about this petition. Of course, I railed against it and called it modern McCarthyism and repeated my pledge. If anybody is banned from Harvard, anybody is fired from Harvard based on Trump affiliations, I will defend them. I will support them. Uh, if they want to bring a lawsuit and it's a plausible lawsuit, I will be part of that lawsuit. I will fight this new uh, McCarthyism because it poses such a great danger um, in so many different ways. Uh, first, it imposes censorship. And when you begin to censor, you never end. Uh, once you begin to ban Trump supporters or facilitators or enablers or members of the administration or people who oppose the election, well, you name it, where do you stop there are people with extreme views on every side of every issue. Uh, first, universities require what I call ism equity. If you're going to ban one, you've got to ban all. And if you're not going to ban one, you can't ban any. You can't pick and choose 
Uh, are we going to now ban sexists, uh, anti-Semites? Are we going to ban anti-Semites from college campuses? Wow, that would keep a lot of people off. How about anti-Zionists? Those who single out the nation state of the Jewish people for special opprobrium. That's very racist and xenophobic and anti-democratic, and yet they're welcomed at Harvard with open arms. Um, Pro-Israel speakers, on the other hand, are regarded as coming within bans on racism, xenophobia, etc. So this is a process that's never-ending. This is a process that once beginning will end the way McCarthyism ended, by having bans on so many types of speakers. The difference is that McCarthyism had a natural end. It was based on the Cold War, and when the Cold War ended, McCarthyism ended. These new attitudes of censorship, of we only hear what we want to hear, we only want to hear views that make us happy, uh, we don't want to be unsafe, we don't want to be in the presence of people who make us uncomfortable, those attitudes are persisting. They are the future. Cancel culture is quickly becoming American culture, and it's certainly becoming university uh, culture. Already, these supporters of Trump are canceled. They're not being invited. But the petition wants to go further. And instead of just not inviting them, it wants to have an absolute formal ban. And how far does it extend? Does it extend to lawyers like me who defended the Constitution on behalf of President Trump? Does it extend to the lawyers who defended him in the most recent impeachment? Does it extend to editorial writers who might have expressed some criticism over the impeachment? Where does it stop? The censor's appetite is never satisfied. And these students who proclaim themselves as supporters of democracy are opponents of democracy to the extent democracy requires free speech and the open marketplace of ideas. So it's not over. My work has just begun. I would have thought maybe I could get a little bit of a vacation from the Trump era and move on to speak about the Biden era. I got some good things and bad things to say. Uh, we'll talk about those in the weeks to come, but we're still stuck on Trump. He's still dominating the discussion on university campuses, in the media, in politics, in Washington. That's not the way it should be. That's not the way it generally is. But Trump is different. And the Trump McCarthyism, the McCarthyist reaction to Trump, persists and continues. And so I have to persist and continue to fight against it. And I will. And we will have guests on this show talking about how they may have been impacted by this new McCarthyism. And so stay tuned. Stay tuned to The Der Show because this is central. This is the place where you will always get the news about the new McCarthyism, what's going on, the censorship, the attempts to ban, the attempts to recriminate against people you disagree with politically, against almost half of America. I mean, is that basically what Harvard is saying? Will it apply also to admissions to Harvard College or Harvard Law School? If you were a supporter of Donald Trump's re-election, 
Will you be banned from being a student at Harvard? You know, this would also affect Harvard's finances. It could result in federal funding being cut off. Universities are not allowed to be partisan or political. Uh, It would also result in funding being cut off from private donors. I know a lot of private donors who did not support Trump, but who would not support the kind of McCarthyism that these students want to see. And so we have to fight it tooth and nail. We have to oppose it. We have to make sure that good and decent people who themselves oppose Trump don't fall into the trap of accepting McCarthyism. Harvard Law School does not have a perfect history on McCarthyism. Back in the 1950s, the Harvard Law Review, which accepted students solely on the basis of grades, disqualified a student editor who had the grades because he was accused of some kind of communist affiliation or complicity. And that was upheld by by the law school and the university. Today, McCarthyism is turning not against the left but against the right. But once established as a principle, it will be used against people of every view as long as those views are not the politically acceptable ones at the university at the time that these bans are put into effect. So it affects you no matter whether you're pro-Trump or anti-Trump or neutral. It affects everybody because censorship affects everybody. Free speech for me but not for thee is the road to free speech for no one. So let's take your calls now. Let's make more calls tomorrow, please, today when you hear this broadcast. I want to hear your views. Any of you who went to Harvard Law School, who went to Harvard College, who are went to other universities that are imposing bans. Those of you who didn't go to colleges but are affected by the way in which colleges educate our future leaders. So I want to hear from you on The Dirt Show. Let's begin with our first call. Mr. Dershowitz, thank you for taking my call. Uh, this is Carol from Oregon. And twice on in recent months, I've heard you say, including today, that the word reasonable appears in the Second Amendment. I have my electronic copy of the Constitution before me, and I see the words shall not be infringed, but I don't see reasonable. Thank you. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, I was really talking about regulated, well-regulated. I think that connotes reasonable. But you're right, the word reasonable doesn't appear. It does appear in some of the decisions about it. But it says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But I use the word well-regulated to connote reasonable restrictions on the ownership of guns, but that's a matter of interpretation. So you make a good point, and thanks for the correction. My question is that you indicated before that you have an open mind on on the election integrity, and if you see something, you would believe it. But at this point, you believe that there was no mishaps or whatever to, to that would have possibly changed the election. My question to you, did you actually look other than listening to the mainstream media, did you actually look for yourself, whether it be security camera footage from the Georgia uh, Center 
Fulton Center, wherever it was that all that, that, that stuff took place, or anywhere else. This, this, my only question to you is, did you actually look? It's a good question. I, I looked at what I saw on the media, but not only on CNN, but as well on Fox and on Newsmax and, and others. And I also read the decisions and the court decisions which outline some of these issues. And, you know, my point is not that there were no irregularities. I'm sure there were. I wrote an article in the run-up to the election saying don't expect a perfect election. I just don't see the numbers. I don't see uh, the evidence that there are enough disputed votes, say, in Pennsylvania or um, in, in Michigan, to have affected the outcome of the elections in those states and to give the electors to Trump instead of to Biden, but I maintain an open mind. I agree with you. I think there should have been more transparency, and I think it would have been a good idea for the courts to have conducted some evidentiary hearings. And that may still happen because there are still some lawsuits pending, although some of them will be dismissed as moot. But I still keep an open mind. I don't know if you have ever really ever met just a regular American citizen that wasn't real political. I had four children. I got 12 grandchildren. I, I just work. I garden. I, I, I obey the law. And, and if I ever get a fine, I pay it. But I don't know if you know people like that at all. Um, I call them just, I call them Trump supporters, just people that have never been listened to. Um, nobody really cares how we feel about um, how this country is moving so far left. I think, um, and so, yeah, I, w- I would like your a comment or an answer, whatever, and what do you, do you know people like me? It's a great question. I appreciate that. I grew up with people like you. I grew up in the in Brooklyn, in a, a working class uh, neighborhood. Um, politics was not particularly uh, a focus of our lives. Uh, my father went to work every day at seven in the morning. <clears throat> didn't come home until eight or so at night. He worked six days uh, a week. Uh, never made a lot of money. Uh, my family saved up and paid six thousand dollars for a three-family house in Brooklyn where my cousin who came out of the war uh, lived downstairs with his new bride in the basement and my uncle and his uh, wife and two children lived upstairs and me and my mother and father and my brother lived on the first floor. Um, Our friends were the most regular people you could imagine. Um, Yes, they were all Democrats. Um, because in in my day, um, people in my neighborhood, Jews, Italians, Irish, uh, Norwegian, um, mostly immigrant families, uh, we supported Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was our savior. He brought us the New Deal. There were occasional Republicans. And then, of course, in, in my years as a, as a lawyer, I've met a lot of uh, ordinary people because I do half of my cases pro bono. And the pro bono cases tend to be ordinary folks. No, they're not ordinary in the sense that they're in trouble. Uh, these are not people who necessarily pay their fines and obey the law. But in all other respects, they're, they're, they're normal folks. I saw a film a couple of years ago. It was actually back in about 2016. It was done by a liberal filmmaker who went to interview 
Trump supporters, people who he saw supporting Trump in what he was convinced would be a losing cause. And he was going to make a film about why people supported Trump, even though he was going to lose the election. Of course, he won the election, but the film came out and it was shown on Martha's Vineyard, where there are no Trump supporters to speak of, certainly not in, in Chilmark, uh, where, where I uh, live. Uh, and people were shocked because it presented uh, Trump supporters, ordinary folks, hardworking people, as decent, nice people you'd love to have a drink with. Many of them didn't drink, but a cup of tea with. Um, and it really was eye-opening. It wasn't eye-opening to me because I know that. Uh, look, you can agree to disagree. I am not a Trump supporter uh, politically, ideologically, in terms of policies. But I would never <clears throat> end a friendship with somebody over support for Trump. And yet friendships with me have ended over not my support for Trump, but my support for his constitutional rights. So I, I uh, certainly support what you're saying. I think more people from the left ought to meet hardworking class people from the right and vice versa. I think people like you ought to come to the cities, the inner cities, and meet folks who are struggling uh, and who support the left. It would help all of us to understand each other. So thanks for your very important call. Hi, I hope you thanks. So first, thanks of all. First of your first of all, thanks for your work. I have one suggestion that's a bit off base. The extreme left always leads to communism. Well, communism is basically dead in the world today. The last communists are on university campuses today in Europe and in the United States. Um, even, even the Chinese are capitalists and the Russians are capitalists. Uh, maybe Belarus uh, and maybe elements of Cuba retain uh, real communism. I don't think communism is a threat. What I think is a threat is extremism, uh, radicalism, some degree of anarchism. Um, but I don't think formal communism, it doesn't have a, a real support system like it used to when the Soviet Union was exporting communism. So I, I, I'm not sure that I agree with you that the left always leads to communism. Liberals are very anti-communist. When I grew up, the liberals were the ones who hated the communists, and the communists hated the liberals. That was true even during the Russian Revolution. The, the Bolsheviks, who were the real communists, hated the Mensheviks and the others who were um, more liberal reformers. Uh, so I don't agree that the left necessarily leads to communism. Um, the left has its problems. The right has its problems. Uh, we don't have any pure system of party affiliation, which is not without its problems, and that's the nature of democracy, the worst system ever devised, except for all the others that have been tried. This is Gary from Canada calling. I disagree with your election burden of proof assertions. I think that the burden of proof should be on those that illegally change the election laws. <clears throat> Until that burden of proof is offered... The outcome of the election will never be accepted. Well, look, I agree with you that if they illegally change the election laws, as they did in Pennsylvania, then the burden of proof is on them. But there are lawful ways of changing election laws, and that is state legislatures under our Constitution can change the election laws. Very few people know this, but under our Constitution, a state legislature could abolish popular voting for president, could say, look, we don't trust the people. 
uh, we're going to have the state legislature pick our 12 electors or our 14 electors. Never happened, but it's constitutional. It's permissible under the Constitution. Indeed, it may be what the framers had in mind when they uh, decided on the Electoral College. So I agree with you. If there's an unlawful change of electoral laws, such as happened in Pennsylvania when the courts overruled the legislature, the burden of proof is on those who changed the laws. But if they were changed lawfully by the state legislature, there's no burden of proof. That's the way democracy works, and that's the way the 12th Amendment and the Constitution work. It's up to the state legislatures to determine how electors are selected to pick our president. So um, great calls today. We continue our seminar. I thought we were done with Trump and the Trump administration and could move on. But no, it lingers on through the new McCarthyism. Uh, Obviously, people on both sides of the aisle are still consumed with Trump. Uh, He had a unique impact on the American psyche. And so inevitably, we're going to have to keep talking about the past election, about the impact of Trumpism on the Republican Party, on the new McCarthyism that's developing from universities. Harvard Law School, I'm embarrassed to say, has a petition. Um, I hope that faculty and students will not sign that petition. But if they do, and if they try to ban any speakers, I'm there on their behalf. You don't have to be a Trump supporter to believe in the Constitution and to believe in freedom of speech and to defend the rights of Trump supporters to say their thing, to have their views heard, and to be part of the conversation. You'll always be part of the conversation on The Der Show. More calls, more subscriptions. Tell your friends. Listen. Watch The Der Show. An important part of The Der Show is your voice, your questions, your comments. Please call 24-7. The number is 216-710-0050. Keep your comments short and to the point. Again, the number for you to call 24-7 is 216-710-0050. Hard questions, criticisms, everything's fine. Just keep your questions short and I'll answer them all on The Dirt Show.